God is good all the time. Those of you that might be interested in going on pilgrimage with us, we've got a short window remaining for you to make up your mind. We're going to be going to Turkey and Greece September 16th through the 29th of this year. Uh, We'll need people who want to go to make up your mind probably by... uh, Early June, early, early summer, uh, might even be a little earlier than that. If you think about it, most of the New Testament did not happen in Israel. Are you guys aware of that? Most of the New Testament happened around the Roman Empire. And we are going to literally trace the steps of of Paul. We're going to trace the steps of the letters to the churches. We're going to go where John and Matthew, and all of those wonderful disciples that were filled with the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Christ. We're going to just go where these churches are. So we read about uh, a church like Colossians, you know, we're going to go to Colossae. It's that kind of thing, right? So if you're able to do that, if God puts that on your heart, uh, we would love to do it. A lot of people ask me about the danger factor. You kind of look at what's hot in the world right now. Uh, We are flying into the middle of Turkey and heading west. So we're not close, and then we're going further away. I have no concerns at all. And I can tell you that if we had a Israel pilgrimage coming up in September, I would have all kinds of concerns. So it's not like I don't have concerns about anything. We have a meeting Sunday, two o'clock, right here. And it's kind of a meeting for those that are going, how many of you know you're going for sure? You're you're just ready to roll, raise your hands. So look around, see some of these people, you might want to talk to them. All right, let's get at Colossians. Have you ever had your check engine light come on in your vehicle? How many of you have? We're really good at that because our newest car is a 2010. So we, we get that light. Every now and then. Sometimes when the check engine light just comes on, it's not immediately serious. It just is something that needs to be addressed. But the problem is a lot of people don't address it. They just ignore the light. And then the light sort of becomes invisible. They keep on driving and everything seems fine. But something's wrong or that light wouldn't be on. And the reality is you can't ignore it until you can't. And then you got a big problem. Big problem. We had this happen a few months back to our 2009 Jeep Commander. It has about 180,000 plus miles on it. And the check engine light came on. And then, like within minutes, while we were on a trip, it started blinking. And then the whole engine just blew. Yeah. Now, I guess if I would have stopped the second that check engine light came on, we might still have that engine, and then again, we may not. Regardless, $6,000 later, we have a new engine. I can spin this in a lot of ways, but I can't say the warning lights failed us. We did have a heads up. It wasn't much of one, but we did have a heads up. Those warning lights told us something that was wrong, and it was really wrong. Some things are more urgent than they may appear. 
You may have things in your life right now, you know they're wrong, but they're more urgent than they may appear. The reality is you just never know. The Colossians had not yet blown their motor, but with the book of Colossians, the check engine light is on. You could argue that the whole book of Colossians is a check engine light. It's not blinking like Jude, but it's on. This letter is an exercise in running a diagnostic, checking the codes, and offering possible remedies. There were characteristics in both the Colossians' belief system and in their motives and actions that indicated that things were amiss. Their engine was missing. These were the kind of things you can't simply ignore. One thing I've noticed about the human body is a lot of things clear up on its own. You ever notice that? Sometimes you get sick and you go to the doctor and they say, if you take these antibiotics, you'll be better in seven days. And if you don't, you'll be better in a week, right? We, we have that happen all the time. <laughs> the reality is it doesn't really matter. You're just going to need to run its course. But engines don't fix themselves. They are not self-correcting. They just don't fix themselves. you got to get those things fixed. You might have some of those areas in your life right now. Uh, you might have some things that you just can't ignore anymore. And maybe that's why God brought you here tonight. To see the warning light. Last week, you discussed things like sexual or material lusts and emotions that fly about unchecked. And if you recognize these things, you can think of them as things that'll set off a check engine light. They're not going to fix themselves. They're just not. And a lot of times, we see something wrong in our life, so what do we do? We try harder. I want to suggest to you, trying harder is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus does not say try harder so you can be 74% better. Jesus says be born again. Sometimes these things in our life, if they're not addressed, they just get worse and worse and worse until finally we blow the engine all together. And then you get a mess. Let's review Paul's list of things that should find no quarter in the life of a Christian. These are things that if they're in our lives, if they're raging in our lives particularly, uh, we're just in trouble. So if we're out of alignment with Christ, if our engine, our Christian engine, has got some problems, we will be, first of all, angry. I want to be real honest. You can get angry, but you can't live angry. It'll kill you. We are not made to live anger, angry. The Greek denotes the kind of anger you feed and harbor, all right? It's the kind of anger that you feed and harbor. You ever had anger against somebody and you just kind of kept her simmering, you know? Anger's a little bit like a, a fireplace. It really will go out if you stop feeding it because we're not designed by God to stay angry. You got to feed it. You got to keep it constantly going, that should have no quarter in the life of Christian. Number two is, is if we're out of alignment with Christ, we'll be driven by impulses. I really got into the Greek today. This really means a quick temper. Are you quick tempered? 
If you do, you have to apologize too much. Right? And frankly, apologizing after a while gets pretty thin. Can I just hear an amen from somebody? You see, if you're always doing stuff out of impulse and apologizing, it's a little bit like running over a dog. You can say you're sorry, but it's all about the same to the dog. This refers to a quick temper. Are you quick-tempered? That's a problem. It's a warning light. Next, if we're out of alignment with Christ, we'll behave maliciously. It's really interesting. Um, This Greek word doesn't so much refer to a malicious action, which may come as a result of a quick temper, right? You ever ever gotten mad and then done something immediately stupid, right? This isn't that. This is the root of malice, the source of malice. This is not acting cruelly, it's being cruel. You guys with me? You ever feel that stuff taking root in you? You ever feel anger taking root in you, revenge taking root in you, malice taking root in you? This is what it's talking about. Warning light. If we're out of alignment with Christ, we will slander others. Did you know the Greek word for slander is the root word of the word blasphemy? How's that? Blasphemy might be the most serious word in the Bible. Uh, damnation, Ichabod, those are really serious, weighty, ugly words. This, this refers to a wicked and evil form of profanity. It's speaking intentionally to destroy another person. And then finally, the use of dirty language. This is really interesting because we have the most foul mouth culture in the history of the world. And what's really amazing is how often we invite that stuff into our home. You know, it's kind of interesting to me. I bet you if you had somebody walk into your home and in an hour said the F word 30 times, you'd probably tell them shut up and leave. But we turn our televisions on and let people do that all the time. It denotes speaking obscenities. It's just speaking obscenity, speaking obscenely. These are each indicators of areas of life that are mal-aligned, misaligned with Christ. They are problems in the engine. And now Paul's going to add one more to the list. One more to this list of vices that kick on the warning light. Lying. Verse 9. Don't lie to each other. You say, well, that's simple. Eh. Eh. I remember watching the news coverage. And a person or, or some people were testifying before Congress. You guys ever see that kind of thing? The Congress brings people in and they testify. And this particular news station brought in an analyst who had spent their whole career testifying before Congress, you know, and they were trying to help us understand what was going on. And the analyst said something I'll never forget. He said, every one of you sitting at home are trying to figure out whether they are telling the truth or lying. He said, as the furthest thing from their mind. They've been given a narrative and they're sticking with it. And whether it's true or false doesn't matter. And I thought, wow, wow. 
Lying is the antonym of truth-telling. But we all know that lying's nuanced, isn't it? It's just nuanced. I remember stories from World War II where devoutly religious people were hiding Jews in Europe from the Nazis, and the Nazis would literally knock on their door and say, are you hiding Jews in your house? That's problematic. Lying, truth, stuff can get complicated. Most studies on lying conclude that human beings are in a near constant state of lying and being lied to. Near constant. Let me use near constant in another term. Mountain gorillas are in a near constant state of flatulation. Right? You might have an old dog. It's in a near constant state. This is saying humans live in a near constant state of lying and being lied to. I look at surveys and people that are trying to get numbers on how many lies people tell a day and how many lies they hear a day. It it ranges, but it's always in the dozens. It's just in the dozens. One way or the other, most people lie multiple times each day. And it's not always out of an impure motive, right? It isn't. Clearly, there are lies told to deceive, but there's also lies told to entertain. We grew up in a tradition of tall tales. There are lies we tell to protect, right? There are lies we tell to keep people from being hurt. There are lies we tell to perpetuate holiday traditions, The Reverend Mike may have busted a little bit of that on a Sunday morning at Christmas time. There are lies we tell to ourselves, right? The kid who tells his kindergarten class there is no Santa Claus is telling the truth, but how helpful that is is debatable. When our daughter Lydia was four or five, we were invited to the home of a young married couple from our church for dinner. Uh, we were served a chocolate cake called mayonnaise cake. You guys ever have mayonnaise cake? Doesn't sound great, right? And we were served that. Lydia took a bite. We all took a bite of it. And our gracious host asked Lydia, do you like it? And she said, no. <laughs> and pushed the plate back toward her. Uh, Melissa and I just kind of, Right? Truth can be more painful than you think. Truth can be awkward, embarrassing. Truth can get you in trouble. We've all been asked, do these pants make me look fat? (laughs) What's indicated here is a lie intended to deceive or to conceal. There's malintent. Here, is everybody with me there? This is that, malintent, lies to deceive, lies with wickedness in their heart. So we as Christians are to be truth tellers. The early Methodist bands met in these small groups, and a part of their weekly discipleship process was they asked one another five questions. Every week, 
they asked each other five questions. How many of you are in a small group of some kind? Okay. So you get to know these people, right? So every week they ask five questions. Are you ready for the five questions of the Methodist band? Number one, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? More ice? Number two, what temptations have you been met with? Number three, how were you delivered from those temptations? Number four, what have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it's a sin or not? And number five, have you anything that you desire to keep secret? And the final piece was they ask you if you lied in any of your responses, (laughs) which means you lied twice. Do you realize in 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 a collection of five questions, it is entirely possible to lie six times? You could lie about every question and lie about whether or not you lied. The driving force of the early Methodist movement that shaped England and America were these small groups. And what defined these small groups was an honesty that led to holiness. You gotta trust people to be in a group like that, right? You gotta trust people. You know, puncture the tire of complete honesty before God, and holiness leaks, and discipleship leaks. I don't mean this in a bad way, but sometimes I truly wonder if any of us people in modernity are truthful enough to be real disciples. Paul knew that Christian discipleship involved a level of honesty that many would find uncomfortable at best and unfathomable at worst. Isn't it really our, be- our greatest fear is that people would know everything about us? Because we're quite sure they would reject us. Holiness is laying ourselves bare before the holiness of God. It's saying with the psalmist, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. This process is as sanctifying as it is terrifying. Paul is instructing us to read the codes, get honest about the potential harmful things in our life before they destroy us, before they destroy our relationships, and before they destroy anything God may ever want to do through us. We are to confess our sins. And we are to repent. Why do we confess our sins? Because you can't fill a full glass. If you're full of sin, there's no room for God to come in. It just rolls off the top. You got to empty yourself before God, before God can fill us. We must get out the sinful lies if we are to get in the holy truth. That's hard work, isn't it? I feel like I ought to just stop, but I'm not done. So why do these things have no place in the life of a believer? For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and your wicked deeds. This isn't who you are anymore. You need to remember who you are. And this isn't you anymore. We have to get this stuff out, and then we got to keep it out. Because in a fallen world, it always wants to come back. Last week, Melissa 
started up our newly re-engined Jeep, right? Brand new engine. She turned on the heater fan and it began to make the most horrible sound you've ever heard. We thought the new motor was acting up. You're always afraid it's going to blow again. And so we took it back to the mechanic. It appears that a small bird had climbed up in the blower. And when she caught it, started it, it got caught in the fan. And when she turned on the heat, it got sucked in and did $262.37 worth of damage before going to that great birdhouse in the sky. (laughs) The noise was an indicator that we had a problem. Something got in that fan that shouldn't have been there. We had to take it to the mechanic to identify the problem, get what was left of the bird out of there, and install a brand new fan. The actions we just explored are indications of the problem. They're birds that get in our fan and do great damage if they're not extracted. We must allow Jesus to identify the things in us that should not be there. We need accountability to help us see those things that may be blind to us, and we need to trust Christ to remove the sin. Because we have a new operating system altogether when we accept Christ. It's just we got old junk that tries to creep back in. So if we're not who we were before meeting Christ, just who are we? Right? Who are we? Verse 10. We are new creations. We're new creations. Verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. As you learn to know your creator. I'm going to suggest there's a lot of people that accepted Christ at some point in their life, but they still don't know him very well. They're acquaintances, not friends. It says we are renewed as we learn to know our creator. And as we know him, we become more like him. Throughout the Bible, God's people are often instructed to put something on. Sometimes God puts us on. But we're instructed to put something on as one might put on a coat in the winter, which incidentally I hear we're going to need over the weekend, right? To put things on is an internal action. An intentional action that may well involve taking something else off. Have you ever taken off a dirty coat and put on a clean coat? To put something new on involves taking something old off. I got a coat for Christmas, and uh, I really like it. I I really like it. And the first thing you have to do is try it on, right? You just got to try stuff on. So at Christmas time, I had a, a thick shirt that I wear possibly every single night, and I, I have this thick button-up shirt with, with uh, fur inside, and it's puffy-ish, and to try that coat on, to give it a legitimate shot, I had to take that shirt off. I had to take something off in order to put something on. I had to take the new, the old off to put the new on. The idea 
is that through the power of Jesus, we are to take off the sinful nature into which we were born and put on the new nature of Christ. How does this happen? Through a process of renewal. Through a process of renewal. It begins with a personal relationship with Christ. And it ultimately shapes us into the image of Christ. I think sometimes we get overly impatient with our spiritual growth. And then other times I think we're rightly impatient with our lack of spiritual growth. I've told pastors uh, today that if your church declined last year, if you don't have a plan to turn that around, there is no reason to have any optimism at all. You keep doing what you were doing, you're going to keep getting what you got other than it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So if we are going to see different things in our life, we're going to have to create new inputs. We're going to have to put ourselves out there. Maybe that involves coming to church on Wednesdays. Maybe that involves getting in a small group or a Bible study. Maybe that involves making more of a commitment to reading your Bible every day. Maybe you want to pick up one of those brochures. We're reading uh, the New Testament through this year together. You can get a brochure at the Sink Center. Every day, we, six days a week, we read a chapter of the New Testament, and then there's a prayer day. There's not a lot of reading, but at the end of the year, you're going to read the whole New Testament. This is the kind of thing we do. We step in, we get engaged, we get involved, we study the Word, we better get to know Jesus, and as that relationship grows, we become more like The ultimate goal of Christianity is not to do good, it's to be like Christ. It's to be more Christ-like, less like the old nature, more like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had a role model or a hero or a family member that... uh, was really a good Christian example to you, a good one, you know? Nobody ever talks about that. Everybody talks about how disappointed they are. I get it. Life's hard and then you die. Great. But there are some really great people out there, and there are some people that have shown us Jesus, and I think if we talked about those people more and all of our disappointments less, we'd all be better off. I know that as I get to know people, as a young pastor, the the folks that put their arm around me, the folks that that showed me the ropes, that loved me, that cared about me, that believed in me, not only did they help me better learn who Christ had made me and what Christ could do through me, but I found myself emulating them in certain ways. I just found myself just kind of wanting to be a little more like them. And in doing that, they helped me to become more like Jesus. When I read the Bible and I look at how Jesus responded to things, and then I think about how I respond to things, 
I think I need to be more Christ-like. And what's really cool is uh, I feel like I'm headed the right direction. You ever think to yourself, you know what? I may not be as far along as I want to be, but I honestly feel like I'm headed in the right direction. That's something to celebrate. Did you know that? Satan will always tell you, well, you're not very far along. You probably won't stay with this very long. You never stay with anything else. You just need to tell him to shut stinking up. You know, you just got to tell the devil, shut up. He has no authority here. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, and Satan has no authority over you. None. None. We need to stop being polite to the devil. Need to be, stop being polite to the devil. The devil wants to throw oppression, depression, and all kinds of stuff all over us. The devil wants to speak lies in our ears. The devil wants to bring us down, steal, kill, and destroy us. And at some point, we just got to get sick and tired and tell the devil, you have no authority over us. Be gone in the name of Jesus. I am not yours. I belong to God. You just go away. Shut up. And as we walk through this process... We become more like Christ. We become more Christ-like. We must receive Jesus. And then we need to get to know the Jesus to which the Bible testifies. I'm not talking about the one on TV. I'm talking about the Jesus to whom the Bible testifies. If you're shaping your theology off of He Gets Us commercials, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. We need to shape our theology from the Jesus that's presented to us in Holy Scripture. And as we get to know that Jesus, and then engage in the sanctifying process, where we incrementally die to self and resurrect to Christ. What if you looked at every one of these things I mentioned earlier as something that needs crucified so that God can resurrect something else in your life? My anger needs crucified so God can resurrect love. My impulses need crucified so God can resurrect a level head. Crucify these things. It's only when you crucify something it can resurrect. You know, we want to keep stuff in a cage and barely alive. That's not what we're supposed to do. We want to keep our anger in a cage and barely alive in case we need it later. It doesn't say to do it. It to crucify it. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to crucify that stuff. And then God's stuff can resurrect in us. We need to take the old stuff off. The old ripped coat. Take it off. Leave it behind. Throw it in the dumpster. And wear this new coat of righteousness that Christ has given us. This doesn't happen all at once, but it does happen as specific areas of our life are brought under the rule and reign of God. And when that happens, unbridled anger is replaced by unfathomable peace. Reckless impulse is replaced by a level head. Bad behavior is replaced by godly actions. Slander is replaced by encouragement. Dirty language is replaced with edifying words, and lies are replaced by truth. Crucify them so Jesus can resurrect them. Take off the old, put on the new. Some years ago, I was talking with a guy who'd been in church most of his life, but was finally getting it. You guys, anybody know what I'm talking about? Been in church his whole life. And all of a sudden, he was starting to turn on to Jesus, and he's starting to feel it a bit. He was just starting to feel it a bit. He spoke to me about his recent transformation. He talked about how 
God was just kind of burning in his heart and the things that God was doing in his life. And he just stopped. He just stopped. And I just stared at him and his whole countenance lit up. I mean, he just lit up. And with wide-eyed wonder and a true sense of amazement, he said, imagine me becoming a man of God. Imagine me. You becoming a man of God. Imagine you becoming a woman of God. Yeah, imagine that. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we love your word, because your word is like a sword in two ways. It it just pierces our heart. It tells us the things that we need to get rid of that's in our lives, those things that we try to hide. And you say, Lord, that if we get rid of those and we throw those away, and we envelop and, and, and just completely suck you into our being, Father, that you will take that stuff away and you'll make us more like you. I pray that we could be more like you. I pray that every single second of the day, Lord, that you ping each of us for everything, whether we're going the wrong direction, whether we're getting ready to talk bad about somebody, whether we're telling a lie, whether we're getting ready to say something we shouldn't say. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just ping us Just kind of like a little gentle ping. And if it can't be done gently, like a smack to the forehead, Lord, I pray that that you would just send your Holy Spirit, Father, to make us more like you. In whatever way it takes, Father, we want to come to you holy. We want to come to you in a way that is pleasing to you, Father. And I pray that we could do that. Lord, I know what you want to do here at Christ Church. And I see it, and I see it in people's faces and in their lives changed. And Father, I just thank you so much for that. I thank you for what you're doing here at Christ Church. I thank you that you're not done, that you're not even kind of done. I thank you that you've made us who you want us to be. I pray that we would always be listening to the pings, that we'd always be listening to the Holy Spirit's promptings, Teach us to be like you, Lord. We love you so much, and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace tonight.